everybody and welcome to In My Mug, episode number, I don't know, uh, on Monday the, I don't know, basically I'm here in Cachoeira, uh, in Brazil, in uh, Minas Gerais, and um, I thought I'm going to be doing the In My Mug on this in the future, but what a great way to do the start, right by the waterfall, cameraman. Now that's an introduction, but... Hello everybody and welcome to In My Mug episode 264 on Monday the 2nd of December 2013. I am your host Stephen Layton, welcome to In My Mug, welcome to the news, and it's Christmas! Okay, so we should get on with the news. So you'll have seen that the guest blend that sold out in record time, I'm seeing into the future, I'm using Chrissy's vision of the future to see that it will sell out. Um, on Sunday, uh, you will all be receiving these through your letterbox fairly shortly. I'm not going to give away the surprise, but it was one heck of a gift, and I will tell you about it next week, I promise. Um, and if you missed out, I'm really sorry, but we had to limit it. 50 people, first 50, got the Christmas gift. So, uh, yeah. Well, on the topic of Christmas gifts, um, we have lots and lots of them on the website. Uh, Christmas filter and espresso is back. We have some ideas of uh, joint packs. Uh, next week, the wish list is going to be added to the site as well, so you'll be able to get a wish list and send it to people. We have new gift vouchers, loads of stuff. Go take a look on there. Very, very pleased with them. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure you'll be able to suggest to your loved ones what you would like for Christmas from the site. Inglaterra's from Brazil are back. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be in my mug. Maybe, maybe not. If we do, maybe the Canario. But the Achaia Natural and uh, Pulp Natural, I don't expect to see. So you should definitely go and try those. Um, uh, yeah, maybe keep an eye on the side, see, see where we're at with them. Um, and that ends what is the Christmas type and amazing news. We are in December. It is time for a new focus on. And this month, um, it's going to be a shortened focus on because we have the festive break where we will bring back the Christmas filter and espresso and I tend to make those very short and snappy um, as nobody wants to spend Christmas listening to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to do Brazil and we may come back and we may come and revisit this in the future but for focus on I've got an interview with three growers Aldolfo and his wife from Paseo um, and uh, Tulio from Carmo Estate um, and they talk very eloquently about the unique situation Brazil has uh, and the challenges that have faced it this year. Um, it's been about 10 minutes long, so I, I can't imagine why you would possibly want to fast forward through because they'd be far more interesting than me. But just 10 minutes and I hope you enjoy. So hello, uh, welcome to something that I thought might be really cool as we've got two Brazil, well, three Brazilian producers, two Brazilian producers and somebody that's promising she's not going to talk on camera, but we might get it to. So um, what I thought might be kind of quite interesting is to talk about Brazil as a coffee growing country and issues that you have at the moment in Brazil, because we read lots of things as coffee roasters and coffee enthusiasts about leaf rust and pests and problems with farms. 
at the moment, what are the challenges facing the Brazilian coffee farmer? Anyone, if you can go first. <laughs> I think that the Brazil is the, the first one country in, around the world to produce better coffee in quality because we have many countries inside our we, we've just been out to lunch and we were talking about this, how that Brazil isn't just a country, it seems like a continent, it's so big. Yeah. There are so many variations between the north and the south, yeah. and so many different climates as well, isn't there? Mm -hmm. yes. Different climates, different uh, topography, yeah. different uh, kinds of the, the, the varieties. We, what do you want we can produce? Mm -hmm. I mean, Minas is a, is a very specific, like that's obviously the area that you guys are from. What challenges are there growing coffee in Minas? What are the things that make it difficult to grow coffee? No, the main challenges now is we are facing is cost of production. Cost of production, and this is something that comes up a lot. This is cost of picking the coffee, cost of making, processing the coffee. Um, and Brazil has always been seen as somewhere that the cost of production is low. Like not now, from 20 years until now, we have a new medium class coming to Brazil. And, uh, there are many uh, new consumers, not only for coffee, but of all uh, other needs. So the, the, the salary and the cost of labor increase because of this kind of uh, this new medium class. And if you look at uh, consumption of coffee uh, in producing countries, it's always been relatively low, but Brazil is somewhere that is a big consumer of coffee all of a sudden, isn't it? Um, and everybody wants to work in a call center or behind a desk, and nobody wants to pick coffee. So how do you get around those challenges? How do you find the pickers and the, the people to work on the farm? Is that something that's difficult as a producer? Every producer has his own answer for this. Most of us, we are changing the plantations to mechanizing it. Other, others bring people, uh, pickers from other parts of Brazil to help. And uh, some of them are picking this coffee. And the big thing is, if you look at coffee production as a whole, Brazil produces around about 30, 35% of the entire coffee consumed in the world. Brazil's important, you know, it's, you've got to keep producing that coffee and keeping those those costs down because like otherwise we're not going to see coffee. Um, what other challenges are there? Like we, we read a lot about leaf rust, um, you know the, the Roya. Um, how much of a problem has that been in Brazil? We have Roya, we call it Perugia in Portuguese, uh, since the 1970s the first. And so from there we learned how to deal with it with some chemicals, controls, yeah. and the new varieties that uh, are resistant to the Roja. And uh, that's it. For, now, for us, it's not a new thing. No. no. This was a new thing for my father. <laughs> <laughs> not for us. Right. Uh, you mentioned there about varietals that seem to be more resistant, resistant. to it. Which, which varietals do you find are kind of working best in those situations? Katukai is one of them. Ikatu, and uh, our varieties, uh, we can convive, live with, because it's not totally resistant, by, but uh, we can survive. 
And and these varietals, uh, we we kind of seen that can be really amazing as well. Like Ikatu is a varietal that lots of people kind of go, I'm not so sure about, but I had an amazing Brazilian Ikatu uh, last year that just made me really happy. It was a delicious cup because it was planted in the right soil. So how do you choose the varietals to plant on the farms? Like what, what is your major motivating factor? Is it production, so how much it produces in the yield? Or is it resistance? Or is it what the specialty market wants? Or is it a collection of all three? Quality. First, quality. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a little bit uh, each, uh, each point is. But quality, but quality is, Yeah. And, uh, we work in, Thinking in quality every time. I think without yield, without yield, you can't make money. But like, also, it, you can't make money if it doesn't taste very good either, particularly in the specialty market. Yeah. So you were going to say, I, know, I was really, really interrupted. We do some tests with very yeah. 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 Always. So smaller lots to start with, yeah. and then if it's successful, plant more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the varietals, where do, where do you get those from? Is there like, I, I imagine you go to the coffee shop and there's some varietals on the shelf and you put them in your shopping trolley. And, but <laughs> how do you go and find the varietals? It, it, do you work with the BSCA, or, which is the Brazilian Specialty Coffee Association, or are there places you can get the varietals from? Well, we, we separate each part of the farm to, to many varieties. Yeah. Okay? Uh, we put, uh, for example, Mundo Novo, Catuai, uh, Rubi, uh, Bourbon, Topazo, and uh, uh, after we, we harvest and prepare the lots, we cut lot by lot to, to control the quality, and then we send to BS, BSCA to, to certificate all the lots. Yeah. And something that's a hot topic in coffee at the moment is climate change. Um, you've been in coffee since about 35 years. Me, 76. Yeah. So, so uh, a lot of experience. How long have you you worked in, with coffee now? It's a good. Uh, uh, I, I lived coffee since uh, 1986. Okay. But my, my great grandfather started in eighteen eighty nine. Wow. So how have you seen climate change affect the way the farmers work? Have you noticed differences with you know different rains getting warmer, things like that? I think it's difficult to say the results more res reserves. Yes. Because you can't say for one year, just one year something changed. Normal. Yes. We have uh, some years more rain, so another one more dry, another one's more hot, uh, low, low temperature. So to, to say something, we have to have more. Uh, in case of coffee, in case of Brazil, we have to have more reserves, uh, scientific reserves. Yeah. To say something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and yield, have yields changed over the years while you've been on the farm? Have you seen yields increase or have you seen yields drop because of different th things that have happened? Well, the, the new challenges are cost of production, yeah. the quality 
Yeah. If people coming to the new market of quality, including in Brazil, specialty market in Brazil are growing a lot to this year, and around 10-15% a year. So uh, certification is increasing a lot in Brazil. Yeah. And maybe in two or three years, Brazil will become the first consumer country in the world. Yeah. Surprising less. And I think something else that's fairly hot in the news for me is the seed price. You know, we see the commodity price of coffee hitting all-time lows. Um, how's when you say cost of production is going up, and this commodity price, which we talked about a little while ago, you know, not everything you sell is specialty. Some has to go into the commodity market. How's that affecting the way that the you know the the, the way the money's coming in the farms are, are, are operating? We try to sell our coffee to international market, uh, specialty market, to make an average in price and income. Yes. Better than in commodity market. Yes. That's why we do that. That's why we are surviving. Yeah. And our friends that are not in specialty market, they, they won't survive. And that, that, this is something that's kind of, you know, it's pretty important that producers are going to have to stop producing coffee because the, the, this commodity price is too low. And this is why when I think where specialty is really important to disconnect from that commodity market, we have to look at the cost of production, we have to look at what is a fair margin and then the reward for producing an amazing coffee and forget the sea market exists. Exactly. Yeah. And in Brazil it's probably the easiest place to have those conversations of, you know, let's not look at the sea market anymore. Let's look at buying where we, we committed for one of the coffees we buy for four years when the commodity market was at its highest. Because it didn't matter the commodity market was at its highest because one thing markets do, they go up and they come down and they go back up and they come back down. I think in the specialty market we have to go out from the New York Sea and uh, make relationship. Yeah. Coffee is based relationship between the consumer and the producer. So we have to make our deals for a long time, term relationships, many years, and uh, stabilize a price that is good for both sides, and especially good for the consumer. Yes. The well, this is the thing I, 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 I've talked a lot in, on my blog and, and in different circles about fair trade, and how fair trade is fair for nobody. The producer doesn't get a fair price because the fair trade price isn't fair. The co consumer doesn't get a good cup of coffee because it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad, it's the same price. What we should be doing is looking at paying a, a good price for something that tastes really good so the consumer will pay more money because it tastes good. And then the roaster gets a good deal too because he's you know, making more money too because he can charge more for it because it tastes good. And you know, this is the ideal situation for me going forward that you know, we work on quality, we work on the cup and not on something that happens in New York normally when I'm in bed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different time zone. Yeah. And, and we can't uh, forget that uh, special coffee isn't only quality coffee. Uh, when we work with uh, special coffee, we have uh, environment care, social responsibility, we care, uh, we pay tax of government, we care with uh, our workers. Uh, it's a big. For sure, and these, these are the things that we kind of forget about sometimes, you know, because we're looking for 
we're looking for the perfect cup on the cupping table. But it's really important that the people who work for you get rewarded too. But then I've kind of found that good producers, you kind of get a feeling for good people and they're the ones you want to work with because they pass that down the chain to the people who work for them. And people ask me a lot why I travel buying to go and buy coffee. It's not to travel to go see the farms, it's to go to see the, the producers on their farms interacting with their workers. And it, you can kind of, you, you pick up these vibes of people who look after their workers and don't, and, and this is really important because that's how we have a future in specialty coffee, yeah. um, is by looking after the people who are picking it, who are managing the farm day to day. Because you can't manage your farms day to day on your own. You need great people with you. They're so big. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, well, thank you ever so much, guys. I, I hope you found this interesting. It was a little idea we had just to talk a little bit about the issues of Brazil. And I, I know people are going to find this really interesting. So thank you very much. So I hope you enjoyed that. I mean, I, I really enjoyed talking to them and I, I think they gave me a really unique look at the kind of problems Brazil face. Um, ironically, the coffee we're doing this week is not from them, but I think you'll see in the coming weeks that you will see them come on screen again, maybe. Um, but I thought it was really funny to hear Brazilian farmers talking like that. Um, they're normally the most ready for price drops and the most business orientated and it's definitely a very difficult time for them and I think they've definitely seen the, the benefit of selling to specialty buyers like us and, and customers like you buying that coffee so uh, thank you from both of us or all of us. Um, this week's coffee is a staple, it is a favourite, it was also the first ever in my mug which um, don't go back and watch it, 263 episodes ago don't go back and watch it. Um, the time after that I did it on location there uh, which you saw the opening of at the start there, where Fat Steve was in full flow. And uh, last time I did it, I think I was at Waterloo Tea, I think. Also. I was on location somewhere doing it anyway. Um, so it's nice to be doing it here. Um, it is one of my all-time favourite cups. It's definitely my top three ever coffees. Uh, we've bought it since 2010. Um, and it sparked a massive change in what I thought about coffee. I can remember exactly where I was the first time I tasted this coffee. It was in a November in 2003, I was in Kingston-upon-Thames and I cut this coffee and it blew my mind. It blew my mind for how good a Brazilian coffee could be first of all, because I'd heard nothing but bad things about Brazil, but also just how complete and rounded it was. And it was the beginning of a really special relationship with Gabriel. Um, we're very lucky, as we know Gabriel well, he gives us special access to his crop and this is a UK exclusive to us. Um, it would be European, was it not those pesky Norwegians getting their hands on some of it? Um, but it's a very, very special coffee. We do have another shipment coming from Cachoeira as well, in a, around about two weeks' time, which uh, is a European exclusive and is a phenomenal coffee also, and I think you're going to enjoy that too, but that's, that's in the future. Um, so the farm has been in the Carvelio Diaz family for, since 1890, um, and they've recently celebrated their 108th crop, uh, it's located in San Paulo State. Now, I get confused a lot, and I quite often say it's in Minas Gerais, um, but it is so on the border of Minas Gerais, and you're going to see that in the map bit. Um, the altitude of the farm is 1,100 metres to 1,250 metres above sea level. Um, 
and Gabriel is like a leader in agronomy in Brazil. Um, he's not there full time. No, he actually lives part time in Canada as his son's going to school in Canada and part time in Brazil. But he was one of the people that sparked the specialty industry in in Brazil. And lots attribute that to the world as Cup of Excellence began in 1999 in Brazil. And Gabriel was one of the key players in that. Um, a farm is located around about 45 minutes uh, from a town called Pocos de Caldos, which is in uh, Minas Gerais, um, and is uh, that is also where the mill is housed. Um, uh, the mill is separate to the farm, and it's part of a group called the Bourbon Group. And we've had other coffees from there in the past as well. Teresina is one that I remember very clearly from there. Um, also, uh, we've had uh, what was the other coffee we've had from there? On. But anyway, we've bought lots of coffee from them, um, and uh, the mill is, is world-renowned, the Bourbon Group is well-renowned, uh, and Gabrielle is one of the owners of that, uh, that group of uh, people that do the mill in there. Um, the farm is called Kishwera, as Kishwera means waterfall, I said that in the video earlier, but Kishwera means waterfall, which uh, in Portuguese, and from the waterfall they have a hydroelectric plant which powers lots on the farm, powers lots of the, the stuff that they're doing there. They take social responsibility very seriously on the farm, being very careful to use chemicals very sparingly if at all. Um, and by looking after the environment, uh, making sure they don't add pollutants into the water table, stuff like that. Um, but what's really important to them as well is cup quality. Um, and in this cup, when you taste it, I don't, for me, I can taste the care in there. Um, it has the most outstanding sweetness, um, which you're going to see in a few minutes. Um, but it is just a very, very distinct cup, and it just makes me feel so happy inside when I drink it. I, I some of my happiest moments are drinking cashuera. It is a, a stunning, stunning coffee, and I cannot wait to do the tasting of this. So we should do the numbers. The farm is called Vizenda Cachoeira de Grama. The de Grama part has been added on because lots of people started calling their farms Cachoeira because of the success of this farm. Um, the processing is pulp natural. and The altitude is 1,100 metres to 1,200 metres above sea level. Um, it is a yellow Bourbon. Um, it's owned by the Carvalho Diaz family. Um, it comes from um, uh, Pocos de Caldos, but it is in Sao Paulo state, in a, the state, a part of the state called Marginia. Um, and in fact, while we're talking about that stuff, we should go look at the map bit and see exactly where it is. It's the map bit. No expense spent. It's the map bit. So here we are. We're going to go up in the air. Come on, up, up, twisty round then and go up in the air. Sorry, it's on a go slow today. Oh, and then we speed up. And then we have a beautiful view of the UK. And we're going to go on our familiar route to the left. And I know I'm saying familiar route too often. To the huge, huge country called Brazil. It is massive. Look at it. It's massive. But the bit we're interested in is down here. So we're going to zoom down here. And just to show you how close it is to Minas Gerais and Sao Paulo, you can see it is smack on the border. And if we go down a little bit more, you can see it's even closer. Like Pocas de Caldas is the closest town which is there. That's that conurbation. Um, one of the things about Pocas de Caldas I love, they have a monorail. And the monorail doesn't work. It's awesome. 
uh, the, the little interesting tidbit. But we're going to go down onto the farm because this is the most famous thing in my mind it has. There we have the drying patios. Um, but what I'm going to go, see that there? That's the waterfall. That's what it's named after. I've paddled in that pool. And to tell, talk to you about manicured grounds, look at that. It's beautiful. Um, it is an absolutely beautiful farm. It is so well laid out. Um, you can see that all those houses are the houses of the workers who uh, live full time on the farm as well. Um, it's like little Kashwara village. Um, yeah, that was the map bit. I know that that is probably my favorite map bit. I love that you can see the waterfall. I love the way that you can see the manicured grounds. Like, I'm not kidding you, this farm for me is the Disneyland of coffee. It is his showroom, it's where he shows the coffee off. Um, there are so many beautiful points where you can have your photo taken. I'm putting one on the screen now. You can see just like, like it's just so picturesque and so well manicured and it's definitely, definitely my favorite map bit ever. Uh, I'm so, so lucky to have uh, the coordinates and such a great satellite view of the farm. So uh, last time we did this, we had Sarah's office, which is there. We're going to replace Sarah's office with Piccolo. Um, I, I've been really lucky to avoid the death and just have the discovery, but I've got a feeling that I'm not going to be so lucky today. So where it goes, nobody knows. Uh, I've got Aeropress. I, I can live with Aeropress. Aeropress is definitely not death. Aeropress is good. So I'm going to whap you on pause. I'm going to go and make tasty and delicious drinks, and I'll be back with my Aeropress in a minute. This is going to be a great day. Okay, so I'm back. I'm gonna dive straight into the espresso as I always do. A little quick stir. So, um, let me drink first. That is everything, and I mean everything, that is perfect about espresso. Caramel, toffee, chocolate, sweet, delicious, that moment I was talking to you about when I first tasted uh, the coffee and I can remember where I was. They told me as I was about to taste it, it was in an importers, and I cooked it and they said, you're going to taste chocolate, caramel, toffee. And I went, oh my God, I taste caramel, toffee, chocolate. This is amazing. And up until that point, I thought I was tasting them, but I hadn't got the confidence. Like, because it, we all know it doesn't taste like chocolate. It doesn't taste like caramel. And this was that moment where I just went, my God, I get it now. It just, this is exactly what it is. It's not, it's not like having a chocolate bar, but it's, it reminds me so much of chocolate, caramel, toffee, sweetness. You know, it's delicious. And that for me, best espresso I've had so far this year. And not because it was, it was superbly made. Thank you, Chris, for making it. Um, it was well made. But this is the thing with Brazil and Bourbons and Pork Naturals, they forgive everything. So even if you pull it a little bit wrong, like, and that, there's nothing wrong with it still, it's very good, Chris. But even if you pull it a little wrong, it tastes amazing. It forgives the barista's mistakes. Um, something that's delicious, add milk to it. It's still delicious with milk. And that's exactly what's happening there. I prefer the espresso. I would rather have no milk with it, but it's very good. It's very tasty. Um, I'm sure that people that don't like espresso will adore that cappuccino, will adore it. 
And here's where I really like it. This is my Fat Steve mug. Look, Fat Steve. He was on earlier. He's there. That's when I was 16 and a half stones. Yeah. Big boy. So. Mm. Seems to have got a little bit of grinds coming through the aeropress there. Must have been on the edge. Um, what can I say? It's... It, so, it's a little bit warm still, actually. But... It's, uh, oh, and how did I make my AeroPress? I used it using this wonderful little card here, which you can go and download from the link on the page or watch the video to make it. The brewing guide that started all of the brewing guides. Still the most watched video I've ever made. Remarkable how many people watch the AeroPress video. But, um, chocolate, smooth. It's just amazing. It really is a delicious, super duper, would die and go to heaven with this coffee. I, this is what it's all about. That's what delicious coffee is all about. So before we wrap up, we should do our screen grab of the week. Um, don't know who sent it in this week, uh, but it will come up on the screen. And if it's you, you have to email me in and you will get your In My Mug t-shirt, the t-shirt that money cannot buy. So that's it, time to wrap up. Thank you very much for joining me as always. I'm very happy. I'm having delicious coffee, I hope you are too, because life is definitely too short for bad coffee. And sorry about the sound last week. <laughs>